I don't want to get up. Just give me five more minutes. Well, if you'd have gone to bed earlier and not been on your phone until the small hours, we wouldn't have had this problem. I'm fairly sure that I'm not the only one who feels like that conversation is part of our family's morning routine. Hello, and welcome to the Study Sessions podcast. I'm Nathan, founder of The Study Buddy and your host. In this series, I talk to a range of experts, parents and students about how we can get the most out of studying at home. From nutrition to sleep and from stress to mental health, we'll be exploring how best to support young people. There'll be a new episode out every Friday morning, so subscribe, review and don't be afraid to share with others who might benefit from what our experts are saying. Today, I'm talking to Dr Faith Orchard. Faith is a lecturer in clinical psychology at Reading University. Her particular specialisms lie in child and adolescent mental health, and in particular, the role that sleep plays in their well-being. Faith, many thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Before we start looking at the role of sleep, quite interested to find out what kind of a student you were at school and um, and what subjects were your favourite ones? Um, so I guess I probably was one of the geekier, hardworking students at school, always quite captivated by kind of learning and studying. Um, but actually, my favourite topic was probably performing arts. So although I ended up down in an academic career, I used to love performing and singing and, and acting. So that was kind of a, a key part of most of my education really throughout school. So quite a dramatic shift then from the performing arts to um, to psychology? Yes, yeah. I actually originally became interested in psychology because I wanted to be one of these amazing forensic psychologists on all these TV dramas that we watch, the ones that solve all the mysteries. <laughs> but then obviously found that you loved it and um, were good at it because you've gone on to do university degrees and then masters and, and and then the PhD. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So I mean it started off as just an interest really, but grew from there and you know, studying psychology as a degree is is very, very broad. Um, we often think about it as just being about, you know, mental health and well-being, but it's such a diverse subject. But I was really captured by young people, working with young people and, and trying to support them better. And now to specialise in uh, sleep as an aspect of their well-being. Yeah, um, the sleep's been a really interesting area to get into and actually something that I've been interested in since school. So we very briefly covered sleep as a topic when we studied this in school and um, was always quite interested in it then and picked it up again um, probably about six or so years ago now. As part of working with mental health, it became really obvious how much of an issue sleep was in quite a wide range of mental health problems. So for years, my son's been trying to convince me that it makes absolutely no difference at all what time he goes to bed. He just doesn't want to wake up or just can't wake up in the morning. How much science is there behind this yarn that he's spinning me? So um, he's actually, in some ways, pretty accurate. What happens in teenagers is is really quite fascinating with sleep. So during these years, our body clocks shift backwards. So the we have what we call a circadian rhythm. It's a twenty four hour clock that our body runs on, um, and this clock tells us what time to go to bed. And during adolescence, this clock moves later. So we're not tired until later on in the evening and we don't want to wake up until later in the morning. So the time we go to bed does still matter as it always does, but we won't be ready for sleep until later in the night whilst we're a teenager. Um, What's really interesting is that the clock then shifts back again for adulthood. So this is really a very unique adolescent only 
phase that happens. Is there any particular reason for that? That's a very good question. Um, we don't really know the answer to that. So there are, there's two processes that make us sleep. The first one is this circadian clock that I just mentioned. The second one is what we call homeostasis and it's essentially the pressure to fall asleep. So the longer we are awake, the more tired we feel. Um, and there's evidence to suggest that during adolescence, it takes longer for the sleep pressure to build up. So um, it just means that, it, you know, it will take a few more hours for us to feel ready for sleep than we would normally. That's got pretty good evidence that that is what is going on. But what's quite interesting is that adolescents still need the same amount of sleep. So it's not that they can go to bed later and then get up early. Their whole pattern needs to be shifted. It's upsetting that actually he might be right in um, in any way. <laughs> but how much of it is uh, also, I guess, a habit that's prolonging the amount of time that he's staying awake? So, for instance, we have um, uh, arguments in the house about whether or not uh, mobile phones and other electronic devices should be taken into the bedroom. And we hear a lot about um, blue light. Is there something in the way that he's um, that he's acting, which is making this artificially longer? Yeah, quite possibly. Even though the clock is shifted later, there are things that young people in particular and, and some adults might be doing that will push that sleep onset even later. Mobiles are, are a really good example of this, where there's certain habits that we might be engaging in in the evening that make it harder for our brains to switch off. There's a fairly commonly held view that, that the problem with the mobile phones is the blue light. Um, what is blue light and actually is it the is it the source of all um, evil yes it's a really interesting question and one that comes up a lot blue light is obviously the, the backlight we have in our in our devices um, pretty much all of our um, electronic devices have this this light and we tend to assume or we're told that this light is a problem for our sleep now the reason that we have this assumption is that we know light is really important for our sleep cycles. So um, our body kind of follows the, the light throughout the day to know what to expect. And the hormones are released at the right point in the day, um, kind of following, mapping onto the light, I suppose, that we see outside. Um, so we assume that this light from devices interferes with the system because it's showing us bright light at the wrong time of day if we're on our device in the evening. But what's actually quite interesting is the evidence doesn't quite map onto that in terms of these devices being a problem because of their light. So what we actually find is that the light doesn't make a difference to when we fall asleep. It doesn't stop us from falling asleep. But what is happening is it's the activity that we're engaging with on these devices that is actually the problem. So the more stimulating the activity, the more likely we are to struggle to fall asleep. So if we're on our phones reading a nice quiet calming book and we've got this light on chances are it's not going to make any difference if we're on social media we're engaged in a kind of intense conversation or it's making us a bit anxious or nervous or perhaps we're playing an online game that's quite engaging those things are much more likely to interact with the sleep so when we're talking about these devices with young people, um, we're much more concerned about what they're doing on the device rather than them having the device there. The problem, however, is obviously if there's a device in the room with you, the option is there to kind of go on and use it. So it still is better to say, let's avoid these in the evening. 
but it's just for a different reason than the one we're kind of led to believe. So to be clear, when you're talking about it's a kind of activity that they're doing, so something that's not too stimulating, that doesn't necessarily have to be high octane stimulation. It could be anything that's keeping our brains going. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So it's kind of irrelevant of the device or, or whatever it is that we're doing. It is about how engaged we are in the thing that we are doing. So if we're having a blazing row with somebody before bed, it's pretty stimulating and we're going to be quite aroused. It's going to make it hard to fall asleep, even though there's no devices involved. So this is even more of an issue in adolescence because they're already not tired till later. So if they then engage in these activities as well, it's even later by the time they're falling asleep. Um, And this is really problematic for teenagers who we, you know, are dragging out of bed at 7am in the morning or whatever time it might be. I'm presuming that there's no hard and fast rule about when a teenager's body is going to be ready for it. We're, as a parent, quite used to an earlier bedtime when they're younger and then fighting i've got a 14 year old who keeps telling me that it's half nine as to all of my friends are going to bed at quarter two or quarter past two. and so we we tend to have this argument is there are there sort of bands or does it wildly vary by individual it wildly varies yeah so we often talk about having larks or owls so larks are the ones that want to go to bed earlier and they wake up earlier in the morning versus the owls that tend to go to bed later and and wake up later Um, and that is a normal individual difference across all humans um, and we get the same for teens so some parents are perhaps quite fortunate with the teens that are happy to go to bed at you know a nice early time um, even though their clocks you know typically push them later and you mentioned before that that if the mobile phone and other devices are artificially pushing it out a bit more to make it even later than it would naturally be, are they conversely good habits that um, we could be encouraging in our teens, um, or maybe even ourselves, that would, I suppose, stop resisting that fatigue? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So there's quite a number of different areas, things we can do to take better care of our sleep patterns. So the first thing is what we call sleep hygiene. And this is essentially doing everything that we can in our daily routines to make our bodies ready for sleep. So this might be obvious things like don't have caffeine in the evenings or perhaps in the late afternoon, um, avoiding lots of you know sugary foods or sugary drinks again late in the um, afternoon or evening. But also things like getting some exercise in the day, making sure we get you know a good amount of daylight as well during the day. And people will then have their own personal kind of preferred bedtime habits so often with young people we might say things like you know get your pajamas on have a bath have a warm drink but it will always be a little bit of kind of personal preference as to what people like the other area that's um, really important is again about routine but it's about the bedroom environment so rather than about us individually it's about our sleep setup so we want our bedroom to be dark and cool for sleep Um, But we also want to make sure that the bedroom isn't associated or the bed in particular isn't associated with um, other activities. So one of the problems we have in teenagers is doing homework in bed. That it means that you start creating an association with bed about work rather than about sleep. So you need to kind of protect the bedroom environment as much as possible to make it a very sleep friendly situation. It's the same with, you know, gaming in bed or watching TV in bed that you start to disrupt the link between the bed and and the sleeping behaviours. So you, you talk about routine and obviously at the moment we're in a situation with coronavirus where we all routines have typically gone out of the window. And that's compounding the situation, is it? Because not only... Are we in a position where 
children still have to try and get up and get through. But as you mentioned just a moment ago, that their bedroom might be where they end up working for um, for many people. Yeah, absolutely. I think that these times at the moment are complicating things a lot for young people's kind of well-being. And as you say, routines are really important. So I think we need to just be even more mindful to maintain consistency. So to have a good night's sleep, the most important thing we can do is have a consistent pattern. And as much as possible, that should apply to the weekend as well as the weekday. That's really important for our body just to know when we should be getting into bed and when we should be waking up in the morning and obviously it's okay for lions to happen at the weekend you know I wouldn't say that that can't but what you don't want is for the lion to be really excessive so we tend to say as a rule no more than a sort of a two-hour lion normally um, in a normal week at the weekend. What are the kinds of impacts that our teens might be um, experiencing with poor sleep patterns and, and how do they sort of manifest themselves? So the most common problem that teenagers experience with sleep is essentially insomnia. So a problem falling asleep or perhaps waking up in the night. And this is made worse kind of by the the normal daily routines that we have the fact that we kind of do want them to go to bed earlier and what happens is they they lie in bed awake not being able to fall asleep and you get into a very nasty cycle with insomnia quite quickly where lying awake is frustrating and stressful and the more frustrated and stressed that you get the harder it is to fall asleep so actually what we um, would advise against is is lying there awake frustrated. It's much better actually just to get up, go and do something and then come back again. So the insomnia is the most common problem that we see, which is funny because quite often I think there's a there's a myth around teenagers sleeping too much. And actually that is very rarely the case. What's more often the case is that they can't fall asleep, as I've already mentioned, till very late. They're then forced up very early they're so sleep deprived that they then have to nap in the afternoon to try and catch up on some of that sleep. What are some of the causes of insomnia amongst teens then? The most common cause is stress um, and that can be stress from a whole range of different things. So schoolwork, obviously a common one, especially if we are talking around exam periods or um, you know coursework that might count towards grades. And then Every other thing, I suppose, that we all encounter, you know, friendships falling out, um, romantic relationships, perhaps starting or ending, family conflict. Young people are also quite vulnerable to mental health um, difficulties as well. And these will be linked with stress and very highly linked with insomnia. So it can be a really wide range of problems. For most young people, insomnia is quite fleeting and it will be that they'll struggle with sleep, with falling asleep in particular, whilst they're going through that stressful period. And then hopefully it will get a bit easier once that stressful period has passed. So we understand that, that getting into a good habit is really important. We also know, unfortunately, that there's no hard and fast rule that, that all teenagers need to be in bed by um, quarter past 10, for example. So are there hints and tips um, that you could share that might help us to determine what the best sleep routine is for our own child? Yeah, absolutely. So a really good place to start is just to get a better idea of what your teenager's sleep might look like. So as I've said, lots of teenagers will not feel tired until later on, and that's fine. Uh, but what really matters is if they're not able to fall asleep once they are in bed, once they're trying. So, you know, they've turned the lights off and they've closed their eyes. Can they fall asleep? And if they can't, if they're really struggling with that, then there might be other things that we can do in the daily routine to help. I mentioned earlier on about exercise being quite important for getting a good night's sleep but what we should 
ideally try and avoid is exercise in the evening or late in the evening particularly um, because what's happening is our bodies are obviously kind of hyping up and getting energetic and they're not rested and ready for sleep and quite often what happens is teenagers do a lot of their hobbies and their activities in the evening um, and Although that might be fine for some young people, if we have teenagers who are really struggling to fall asleep, we might want to avoid any really high activities late at night. And then other, other things are just about, uh, yeah, like you said, good routines. So um, avoiding caffeine or, or high sugary foods or drinks um, late in the evening. Have a nice kind of relaxing, calming routine around bedtime and absolutely consistency. So the body, you want the body to know what's coming next so that it's prepped and kind of geared up, ready for bedtime. So this would seem to be... Um, on one hand, COVID-19 has given us a, a bit of a problem because um, we've, we've routines all over the place. But at the same time, actually, it might be an opportunity, might it, for some parents to go through a trial and error process of, well, if you say you're not tired, let's see how it goes. And maybe we'll try this and we'll try something else. Interestingly, we'll try different things earlier in the day rather than trying the things at the cusp of bedtime. Yeah, absolutely. I think that will be the case probably for a lot of families. They can, as you say, do a bit more trial and error and see whether there are things that are now a bit better because different hobbies might have changed or moved around. I guess the challenge we will have at the moment is that there are other problems in day-to-day -day life that are also difficult. So our sleep might be interrupted for a different reason at the moment. For example, for young people in particular, it's quite likely that this is very anxiety provoking. They're not perhaps seeing their friends or talking to their friends um, at the moment. So there may be other things that are causing stress that could be interfering with sleep. Um, so it might be tricky sometimes to tease apart what is going on if, a, if the sleep problem is persistent. Faith, thank you so much for joining us today. Leaving aside the upset that my son may have been right about something, it's been fascinating to hear about the profound impact that sleep has on our teens. Like me, I hope that you found that there was a lot to take away from what Faith has told us. In particular for me, it's the importance of having a good sleep routine. So interesting to hear that that method of burning the midnight oil for late night revision or catching up while study, or even unwinding, can make it more difficult for our teens to concentrate the following day, which has a compound impact on the fact that this will lead to stress and could ultimately lead to insomnia and so many more problems beside that. For me, the practical idea of that 20 minute rule is absolutely something that I'm going to be trying out with my reluctant teen sleeper as a way of finding and, and keeping a good sleeping routine for her. As ever, thanks to you for listening to our podcast. If you've enjoyed it, please rate it and leave a review. There'll be another episode next week, so why not subscribe? And don't forget to help us spread the word by telling your friends all about the Study Sessions podcast. <laughs>